Welcome. This is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 60 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is a deep dive into the United Technologies SEC FCPA settlement. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, a podcast focused on the legal and compliance industry. Before we get started, I wanted to remind everyone about the ethics and compliance services we offer at my law firm, the Volkoff Law Group. Uh, we, are, we provide ethics and compliance services based on our unique approach to solving compliance issues, designing effective ethics and compliance programs, and implementing proactive strategies to mitigate risks while maximizing business growth and opportunities. We provide practical solutions for companies to design, implement, and manage ethics and compliance programs. In the anti-corruption area, we provide services specific to compliance with the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, the UK Bribery Act, and other applicable anti-corruption laws and regulations. Our goal is to enhance a company's anti-corruption compliance program in order to promote its ethical culture, adherence to applicable policies and procedures, and maximize legal protection against potential enforcement actions by the Justice Department, the Securities and Exchange Commission, the UK's uh, Serious Fraud Office, and other foreign law enforcement agencies. We've collaborated with companies large and small in a variety of industries to design, enhance, and implement effective anti-corruption compliance programs. We can help your business to design and implement effective anti-corruption programs, assess existing policies and procedures in relation to the company's risk profile, recommend improvements to anti-corruption compliance programs, including third-party due diligence procedures, vendor-supplier risk management, invoice-to-payment processes, training programs, gifts, meals, entertainment, and travel expenses, merger and acquisition due diligence and integration, charitable gifts, and hiring of foreign officials' relatives. We also conduct risk assessments and compliance program assessments and detailed testing and audit projects. We provide continuing advice and counsel on anti-corruption compliance issues that may arise relating to specific transactions, events, and other relevant issues. Okay, with that aside, let's turn to uh, review the United Technologies, or I'll refer to it as UT, SEC Enforcement Action. And this, the interesting part about this enforcement action and the reason why I wanted to talk about it is that it contains extensive details on the conduct and the alleged violations ranging from bribery through third parties to excessive gifts and entertainment involving two significant subsidiaries, Pratt & Whitney and Otis Elevator. Now, under the settlement, UT agreed to pay $13.9 million for bribes paid by its elevator and aircraft engine businesses. And uh, they focused on, in terms of the bribery scheme, focused on Azerbaijan and China, and in addition to this, these two countries, uh, UT was cited for improper trips and ga- gifts paid by Otis and its Pratt & Whitney division to foreign officials in China, Kuwait, South Korea, Pakistan, Thailand, and Indonesia. Um, UT disclosed the investigation. It was a voluntary self-disclosure, and that was important for them to, I think, get such a favorable settlement, uh, given the nature of the conduct we're going to review. 
but uh, they disclosed the investigation of the matter to the DOJ and to SEC in late 2013 or early 2014. Uh, DOJ declined to prosecute, which I think was an incredible uh, victory for them, uh, in March 2018. Uh, UT's subsidiary Basically, Otis Elevator bribed government officials in Azerbaijan in connection with public housing uh, elevator sales in Baku. And in China, UT subsidiary, through a joint venture, paid Chinese officials to obtain pre-bid confidential information and other, uh, other means to help win engine sales to Air China, which was a, is, a, is a state-owned airline. So UT agreed overall to disgorge $9 million plus interest of about 919000 and to pay a civil penalty of $4 million. So let's turn to Azerbaijan first, uh, where Otis Elevator hired third-party agents, uh, basically without conducting any due diligence. They hired agents who were based in Russia, uh, who had no local experience or history in the elevator industry. One of the uh, agents was not even registered until after participating in these transactions. Um, and so Otis also paid bribes with a kickback scheme, basically, to sell elevators in China in 2012. And we'll talk about that. And in China from 2009 to 2013, an agent working on behalf of the Pratt & Whitney joint venture uh, and Pratt and & Whitney was a majority owner of the joint venture, which is important for liability purposes, uh, received a $2 million, this agent, uh, this chi Chinese agent, which we'll talk about, received a $2 million commission advance purportedly for an office expansion and failed to provide any documentation to support the request in advance. Uh, the joint venture paid the agent $55 million in commissions from 2009 to 2013. Like I said, UT self-reported the conduct, fully reported with the investigation. They terminated employees and third parties responsible for misconduct and enhanced its accounting controls and compliance organization. Overall, they got a great settlement here, uh, given uh, the level of and the pervasive nature of this conduct, which we're going to go through. Okay, so in Azerbaijan, uh, Otis uh, Elevator, um, uh, like I said, used a bribery scheme to sell its elevators to a public housing municipal entity in Baku. Um, they used uh, sham subcontractors and third-party intermediaries to carry out some of the schemes. So they first, in 2012, hired two subcontractors to make payments to Baku Liftremont, Liftremont, a municipal entity. And Otis Elevator did not conduct due diligence of the two subcontractors, and they were paid over $790,000, which was approximately 44% of the contract value. And there was no documentation that the subcontractors provided any services whatsoever. Then between February 2013 and December 14, Otis sought to win additional contracts. So they retained four third-party intermediaries, uh, to secure to pay bribes to secure nine contracts, uh, as directed by Liftermont, that's the government official, senior official. Now Otis Elevator sold the equipment to the intermediaries, and remember these are intermediaries from Russia, being brought in who, who know nothing about the local market or even had experience in this industry, and they knew that a portion of the payments would go to the, the Liftermont officials. 
So the bribe payments totaled at least $11.8 million. Uh, and like I said, the intermediaries were located in Russia and had no relevant experience. Interestingly, the contracts and the transactions were not put through uh, Otis's internal controls. And you can imagine that UT and Otis, they have pretty elaborate internal controls, but it shows you that they were nonetheless uh, circumvented. Um, for, but what's interesting here is legal, finance, and business employees reviewed the transaction but failed to prevent the improper transactions. Legal, for example, approved the contracts solely on the basis that they contained the standard terms but did not even question if the intermediaries had been through due diligence or was it unusual to have these Russian companies serving as um, uh, intermediaries in the Azerbaijan market. No one in finance, for example, reviewed the, reviewed the financial terms to make sure the pricing differentials were acceptable. And remember, they were loading the invoices with the uh, bribery payments, so these were, uh, these were on paper looked uh, very costly uh, in terms of the way this was being done. So in another scheme, and this is perhaps the most unbelievable part of this to me, Otis Elevator ends up hiring Liftermont the government agency, as a distributor of its elevators to other areas outside Baku as a way to funnel bribes, notwithstanding the fact that Liftermont was the government entity responsible for municipal projects in Baku. This is incredible. They hire a government agency to be its distributor, and somehow this gets through. Uh, not only it's approved at the highest levels, by Otis Elevator's regional president, as well as legal, finance, and business employees, which is incredible to me. At the same time that this is going on, where they're bringing in the intermediaries from Russia, Otis Elevator already had a joint venture with a local partner in Azerbaijan, but instead they chose to work through the Russian intermediaries and Liftermont, the government agency itself. So the man, the the Otis's uh, JV partner started to raise concerns about the transaction, saying, why are we being cut out of this? And the managing director of the joint venture emailed the regional president eight separate times to seek a confidential meeting about the Liftermont contracts, but no one took any steps to address the concerns. So then in September 2014, an Otis elevator lawyer in Russia refused to approve the contract and requested information about the ownership of the new intermediary and a written explanation as to why they needed to hire the new intermediary. So here we have an example of what's the business justification, and the lawyer rightfully is saying, why are we using this third party? One month later, later uh, the lawyer contacted the CFO and discussed who was conducting due diligence of the intermediaries. The lawyer eventually was provided with her perfunctory explanation to justify hiring this new intermediary, and the lawyer ultimately approved the con contract. Uh, and what's even more telling is the lawyer then found out that the contract had already been executed four months before he or she had approved it. That tells you how well their internal controls were working. So basically, Otis Elevator entered into 10 contracts with Liftermont, totaling approximately $14.6 million. 
So now let's go to China, and we're going to talk about Pratt and Whitney uh, in China. Starting in 2006, Pratt and Whitney's joint venture IAE,、uh, which was a joint venture uh, uh, in China,、uh, basically retained the joint venture itself retained a Chinese sales agent to increase their sales in China. Interestingly, again, the agent has no background or experience in the airline industry and had been involved only in the toll road business.、Uh, IAE and Pratt conducted minimal due diligence before they retained the sales agent, and IAE entered into a sales agent agreement with a commission of between 1.75 and 4 percent of sales to Chinese airlines. And these are large contracts for obviously for engines,、uh, air,、uh, jet engines. Uh, in October 2009, Pratt itself, outside the joint venture, hired the same Chinese agent. And like I said earlier,、uh, over a four-year period, the agent was paid approximately $55 million in commissions. In one case, in 2009, the agent requested a commission advance of $2 million, supposedly for an office expansion. The agent provided no documentation for the advance. The agent's sole responsibility and involvement in Pratt and IAE projects was to arrange introductions and meetings, because the agent obviously had no expertise in the area. The following month, a Chinese official sent the agent confidential information concerning a tender for uh, airline uh, engines. IAE compared the confidential in- information to its bid that it was planning to make, and they subsequently modified the bid. No one asked the agent how he obtained the confidential information, and IEE went on to win the contract.、Uh, this agent was paid a total of over $160,000 in six separate payments. Uh, uh, the agent, let me make that clear, paid to、uh, Chinese airline official $160,000 in six separate payments. And eventually, the way that this case got disclosed, at least. Uh, or brought to the attention of Pratt and Whitney is the Chinese、uh, eventually arrested the、uh, China the Air China official、uh, and charged him domestically with corruption. Over a four year period, the agent was paid 4.3 million in success fee payments. So in China, let's go to Otis Elevator for a second. In 2012, Otis Elevator secured a contract to install four elevator units to a Chinese state-owned bank. The Chinese bank official requested a bribe if Otis won the contract, and the Otis Elevator supervisor agreed to make such a payment using a distributor to carry out the scheme. The supervisor retained、uh, a distributor to bid for the contract and based it on a false just- justification, which was not questioned. And the payment was made by inflating the cost of the project. The distributor retained a sub-distributor for the project, and the distributor paid ninety-eight thousand dollars to the Otis sales supervisor, who kept a portion for himself, and then paid the bank official the bribe. Otis、uh, Elevator learned of the scheme after its sales supervisor, a Chinese national, was charged with bribery in China. So, those are the bribery schemes at issue, and now let's go on to、uh, some of the interesting issues、uh, related to gifts and entertainment and travel abuse、uh, related to、uh, some of the activities here. 
Um, so as outlined in the settlement from 2009 to 2015, Pratt and Whitney and Otis Elevator improperly provided trips and gifts to various foreign officials. Going back to our friend, the Chinese agent who was working for Pratt and Whitney and was this, at the center of the bribery scheme to secure the confidential information and contracts from the Chinese state-owned enterprise, uh, enterprise. Um, uh, he also used luxury gifts and entertainment to advance his illegal bribery scheme. Um, so he requested, the Chinese agent requested advance payments for sponsorship of events for Chinese officials. The agent asked IEE, the, again, the Pratt & Whitney joint venture in China, to co-sponsor a golf event for senior Chinese state-owned airline executives. Uh, and IAE's uh, general manager and vice president sought approval of a $30,000 contribution to sponsor the golf event. In requesting the approval, though, the, the uh, GM misrepresented the nature of the event and tried to characterize it as a conference uh, to make it easier to get the request approved. Pratt was also seeking to contribute $40,000 separately as well. The agenda they submitted showed two rounds of golf and nine hours of business meetings. IAE Legal approved the $30,000 contribution, and the event was eventually postponed for a year. Uh, the following year, the sales agent asked for an additional $30,000 contribution, and it was also approved. And the Pratt China president provided, again, a false agenda for the two-day conference uh, and the golf event actually did take place in 2011. And at the event, this Chinese sales agent also gave all the airline executives expensive gifts, such as iPads and luggage, and no one ever informed Pratt Legal that, they were plant that the third party was going to be giving these gifts. Let's go on to leisure travel. Uh, and here are some abuses that occurred outside of China, outside of Azerbaijan, but uh, UT funded uh, leisure travel and entertainment for foreign officials from various countries, including China, Kuwait, South Korea, Pakistan, Thailand, and Indonesia. Employees were able to circumvent a requirement that UT Legal review all travel and entertainment expenses under its gifts policy uh, by submitting travel for foreign officials without disclosing the leisure and, ent and entertainment portion. In other words, they put in a request just for the travel, not mention at all the leisure and entertainment portion of the trip. So, for example, from 20, 2009 to 2015, Pratt provided improper entertainment and leisure travel to up to five South Korean Air Force officials on seven occasions. The South Korean Air Force at that point was just purchasing aftermarket spare parts and repair services from Pratt and Pratt was seeking to convert these into long-term contracts. So the leisure travel was provided with little to no uh, required review. Uh, and on occasion, even when legal reviewed the contracts, legal failed to identify the sponsored travel issues and FCPA risks. So Pratt supervisors failed to note that the destinations for travel were tourist locations. Anytime you see Orlando, Florida, like in this case, that's a tourist location where Pratt did not have facilities. Most of the trips included a senior Air Force official who attended one meeting and then spent the remainder of the trip enjoying leisure activities. And 
Pratt spent over $26,000 on entertainment and leisure travel for the officials. Similarly, Otis Elevator provided uh, improper travel in connection with sales to China. In 2008, the Hangzhou branch of Otis uh, China obtained a $27.6 million contract for a subway project. And the Otis Elevator project manager approved a trip to Italy and Greece for seven foreign officials associated with the project and claimed that the trip was to inspect Otis equipment and subways in use in those two countries. just happened to be Italy and Greece. No inspections, I mean, they didn't even pretend that they were there to do the inspections. No inspections occurred during the trip. The Shenzhen branch of Otis China used a similar scheme to send seven government officials to New York City and Washington, D.C., and again, no elevator inspections were conducted at these locations. So the UTC businesses uh, also provided excessive leisure and travel and entertainment in conjunction with legitimate business travel. So, for example, from 2012 to 2014, Pratt paid for excessive leisure hotel stays in Belgium and Amsterdam for Air Force officials from Pakistan, Thailand, and Indonesia. The leisure component was four times as long as the legitimate business component. So uh, four days of leisure for every one day of business. Similarly, Otis uh, Kuwait paid for leisure travel to Europe and China on seven trips for 27 foreign officials, and these trips uh, violated UT's corporate policies, internal corporate policies. The total amount spent on improper travel and entertainment was 134000 The important point, I think, about the, the travel arrangements and uh, the gifts and the entertainment is always to, number one, try to verify the documentation that's provided, but then provide and then seek documentation or verification of the actual event afterwards. Uh, what's clear here is you had people engaged in fraud in circumventing internal controls with uh, false um, false representations, false documentation. Uh, it's hard to catch that, but at least if you require, uh, more verification, or for example, if some of these transactions have been selected for audit, you know, on a sampling basis, uh, these could have been detected. Uh, with regard to the lessons learned as to third parties, uh, obviously, um, in recounting uh, the events, it's clear, number one, we have an absence of business justifications, lack of due diligence, the absence of authority for uh, legal and notice there was no sort of scrutiny by finance of invoices or payments that were going out to third parties as to whether or not they were appropriate or in line with uh, uh, policies and procedures governing third parties. So I thought it was it's an interesting um, enforcement action. I'd urge everybody to take a look at the uh, actual decision and read through it. There are a lot of lessons learned uh, there that we can uh, apply in terms of our own ethics and compliance uh, programs in the anti-corruption area. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program, 
Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At ethical companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested, and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.volkoflaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our new podcast series. You can contact me anytime at my email address, mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com, to let us know how we can help you achieve your goals.